Good morning. It's been a long time. <laughs> well, that's all because my dear friend, Father Scott, the only thing he knows how to say in Spanish is Taco Bell. Easy now. <laughs> I hear by the grapevine that I am const my age is constantly referred to at this mass. He, he thinks it is that I am afraid to die. I, I am not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> so, from now on, I will be coming to you at least once a month. But before I start, I want to give a couple of commercials. Um, because I don't want to do it at the at the very end. At the very end is a time for thinking about what's been said. Commercial number one. I really want all of you to consider joining in religious education. You know, in English, we have three adult classes every single week. Okay, and they're online. Uh, Father Scott, you're on Wednesday nights. Uh, you're studying more the, the scriptures, the, the Bible timeline. Bible timeline. Bible timeline. I teach on Monday nights. Uh, my Monday night class is a college-level class. So don't, um, you know, if you come, it, it isn't, it, it's college-level. And it's, uh, it's called Theological Investigations. And uh, you can find information in the bulletin. And then on Thursday nights, which is the one I highly recommend for everybody, is uh, we, we sit down and study the next Sunday's readings with a scripture scholar that is awesome. He gives a 30-minute lecture on the readings for the following Sunday, and then we have a discussion. And by the time you get here on Sunday, you know what's going to be said, and you understand it. And it doesn't, I think a lot of times, you know, in the, in, for us Catholics, I think a lot of times we just, we've heard this stuff so often that it just sort of kind of, you know, goes right over. And when you stop to really look at it, 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 there's a wealth there that you wouldn't believe. So, you know, grab a cup of coffee or a beer and sit down. You can, you can sit down and get your religious education, okay, on Thursday nights. All of that is in the, um, in the bulletin. And then the last thing is I really want to encourage all of you to tune in to the radio on Sunday nights. Um, um, we have, I'm on, I've been on the radio or Sunday nights for, God, going on 14 years. Um, and we just, it used to be two hours. It was from seven to nine. But now they've shortened it from eight to nine. And we really focused. It's, it's, a rabbi, it sounds like a joke, but it isn't. It's a, a rabbi, a Catholic priest, and a Protestant minister. And the, two, the three of us sit there and talk about theology and philosophy and compare with each other's notes. And there's disagreements. We're very good friends. So it's not one of these things of just, you know, oh, yeah, pablum, you know, we get, we agree with everything. It, it really comes down to a good debate. So I encourage, it's, it, the reason I'm encouraging you to do that, it's from 8 to 9 
on 1070 KNTH. Okay, the best way to listen to it is to go to the, your app store or to the Google Play store and look for KNTH because then you get it on your phone. AM tends to be a little scratchy, you know, sometimes, but 1070 KNTH and you'll get it. It's extremely good religious education because then you're going to see you're, see, you're going to see the correct answer compared to the Jews and to the Protestants. Did you get that? Did you get that? The correct answer compared to the Jews and to the Protestants. So anyway, that's, those are the commercials. <clears throat> now, the gospel this morning emphasizes something that I think has become almost trite for most Christians. What it emphasizes is God is love. Isn't that nice? Every time, you know, whenever I hear the word God is love, and you hear, you see people kind of going, oh, yes, he is. Isn't that nice? Okay. But I don't think we understand what it means. I really don't think we understand what it means. And so what I want to do today is take the three parables, but mostly the prodigal son, and I want to take it apart a little bit and check out its implications. Because when you get to the implications, you're going to find that love isn't what you think it is. You see, let me tell you, I've been a priest for 45 years. 45 years. And if somebody were to ask you, what have you learned in the last 45 years? I would tell you that the majority of people have no idea what the word love means. No idea. So I'm not going to get into that totally right now. But let's begin with the first two parables, which I'm going to go through kind of quickly so I can get to the prodigal son. Because I don't want to lose my reputation about giving short homilies. Okay. Look at the first two parables. The first two parables are total nonsense. Total nonsense. The first one says, Jesus says, what man among you, having had, having 100 sheep and loses one, doesn't leave the 99 in the wilderness and goes and look for the lost sheep? What man among you wouldn't do that? And the answer is, nobody. Nobody would do that. You wouldn't leave them in the wilderness and go find it. You're endangering the 99 to go find the one. Why does Jesus tell you that? He tells you that so that you will begin to understand that when you say God is love, it doesn't mean what you think it means. It means he's coming after you. You understand that? He's coming after you. They call, there's a great poem which is too long to recite, which is called The Hound of Heaven. He, he will be there to hound you. Now look at the second parable. The second parable is a woman loses what the equivalent is, the equivalent of one penny. One penny. So what does she do? She turns the whole place upside down, looking for one penny, spends the whole day, and then... When she finds it, she goes to all the neighbors and goes, 
Rejoice, I have found my lost penny. Would you do that? Well, of course not. You wouldn't do that. That's exactly the point. God, he, Jesus is telling you, God is not like you and me. There's an old saying that I, I find validated all the time, which is God made us in his image and likeness, and we never cease returning the favor. We're constantly making him up in our image and likeness. But when we say God is love, does it mean what you think it means? It begins, these two parables begin to tell you first one thing. He's coming after you. Now, what's he coming after you for? Because God, and this is the chief lesson if I had to give a takeaway from this, God refuses to let you be a spiritual runt. He refuses to allow you to remain an underdeveloped human being. He refuses. It's kind of like the, the I, I always like to give the example of the, a little boy who goes to, up to his mom and says, Mom, you want me to be happy? She goes, well, yes, son, I want you to be happy. Okay, Mom, uh, if you want me to be happy. See, I have loved, just loved third grade. Mama, I love my teacher. I love third grade. You want me to be happy, Mama, right? Yes. Mom, let me do third grade over again. Please. You want me to be happy? And what do you say? Yes, of course, my dear. No. I'm sorry. You have to do the penance of fourth grade. Okay? You may not like the teacher, but you have to go. But I thought you wanted me to be happy. Precisely. But not the way you mean happy. Not the way you mean happy. And that's the way God is. He wants you, he wants you to be happy, but not how you and I define happiness. Now let's get to the, the prodigal son. It's interesting. Because I find that the prodigal son, of course, we always interpret it emphasizing the fact that, God, that the prodigal son comes home and the father embraces him. And that's really important because it goes along with the first two parables. The embracing, you can always come home. Always come home. But there's a few little details that are not quite um, brought to light when we talk about this parable. First of all, notice that the parable begins by the younger son asking his father for the part of the inheritance that comes is due to me. Now, when do you get an inheritance? when the person that's giving it to you is dead. The son is saying basically to his father, it's an insult. Dad, I can't wait for you to die. And so go ahead and sell whatever part and give me, since you have two sons, you're going to have to give me half of what you have and give it to me now because I don't want to wait till you die. It's an insult. So... What does the father, does the father get insulted? No. The father, in fact, as a matter of fact, the parable says absolutely nothing. He is allowing his son to, um, to, do, to, free, to be free about what he's doing. I gotta get out of the son here. To be free about what he's doing. He gives him, he lets, he lets him, he receives the insult, 
And it's, it's interesting because that's God's way of saying, he's going to let you do stupid stuff. If you decide that you want to do something stupid, even if, he, if, you, if he's insulted, he will, not, he will not stop you to do something stupid. He respects your freedom. So the son takes the, 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 the inheritance. And then he goes and it says he spent it all on partying. He's partying with drinking and prostitutes and all kinds of stuff like that. Point number two, not only God will let you do freely what you want, he will let you again do self-destructive stuff. He will let you. He's not going to stop you. If you want to drink your life away, if you want to drug your life or sex your life away, whatever you want to do, he's not going to stop you. And precisely, you know why? Because he loves you. The word love doesn't mean what you think it means. It means uh, I'm letting you go on to the fourth grade. <laughs> I'm letting you fail precisely because I love you. Now, the younger son is having a ball. You know, I think that that is emblematic of the way that we think of life. You know, I, I think that most of us think of life or American culture Think of life like a, an amusement park. You know, which ride are we going to go on next? Are we going to go on the vacation next? Are we going to get the new house next, the ride? How about the ride of let's get a new car and let's get exciting stuff? Oh, yeah, and go to church on Sunday. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. But it's kind of like a huge amusement park. And God's basically saying, that's not right. It isn't an amusement park. And so here he lets, he lets the son do it. What happens ultimately? What happens is what always happens. You engage in a, the pursuit of happiness, quote, yourself here, that ultimately it will fail you. Sooner or later, something's going to happen. You're going to run out of money. You're going to get sick. Someone shoots you. You're going to be in an accident. Something's going to happen. But this whole idea that we have of what life is all about is not correct. So one of the things that, 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 that the, the teachings that the church has, which is to me one of the most obvious teachings of the church, is called original sin. Original sin is not the fact that you, when I was growing up, they, they taught us that original sin, a little boy, I was a little boy in, in Cuba a couple thousand years ago, Father. Um, but I was a little kid in Cuba, and, and, and original sin was, you know, like you're born, and they showed you a white milk, milk bottle. And then uh, after Adam and Eve, you got, you got this, all these little dirt spots, on your little white milk bottle. And then, and, and, no, and no, no, you got, no, sir, you went, it turned totally dark. And then you got baptized and you were back to white. And then you got some spots, then you had to go to confession. And so it, it was kind of like original sin was eh, something out there. No. You know what original sin is? False consciousness. False consciousness. It means 
you are seeing the world turned upside down and you think it's correct. You think that the way you are perceiving the world is correct. You think that the way of perceiving happiness is correct. And it's not. It's kind of like working on a computer that has a virus on it and you've never worked on a clean, clean system. You don't know what it's supposed to be like. And so you begin inventing your own happiness and it ultimately will fail you. Guaranteed it will fail you. And so what happens to this kid? He finally, something happens, a drought or a famine or something happens, and then he is put to work in the lowest, lowest um, work that a Jew could have, tending pigs. It's kind of like, imagine that you were son of a rich kid and now you work, have to work in a sewage treatment plant. Okay? It's basically that. Now, there's an interesting sentence that I really like when, it, when, when the scriptures is, is, um, is talking. And that is, the boy says, coming to his senses. This Bible says, coming to his senses. Another translation says, coming to himself. Okay, what do you mean coming to your senses? Were you out of your senses? Yes, precisely. Were you, when it says coming home to yourself, what does that mean? Were you away from yourself? Yes. That's part of the teaching of what's called original sin. Original sin is not a sin you committed. It's a condition that affects humankind. It's a condition of blindness that affects humankind that you don't know what life means. You don't know what happiness is. And so you start looking for it. It's, I want, I want, I want, I want. And, and none of that fits. And you finally go, huh. This is not it. That's what coming to yourself means. Coming to your senses. You experience the contradiction between, between, um, you experience the contradiction between life as you understand it and life the way it is. And you say something is deeply wrong here. I've been doing the same thing and I'm not happy. Bingo. To use a Catholic term. Okay. Bingo. Huh? Because you don't know it. You don't have it. And notice one other thing. I want you to notice how when the sun goes away and starts partying and starts doing all this stuff and when he gets in trouble, does the father go looking for him? Nope. The father allows him to crash and burn so will God allow you to crash and burn. Why? Because he's not a helicopter parent. What is a helicopter parent? It's a technical term for mommies and daddies who when little baby boy or little baby girl gets in trouble, they come in, I'm here to rescue my son and takes you back, back home. And then you do it all over again and you never learn because you never were allowed to crash and burn, okay? God will allow you. I, I teach an entire course on, on disillusionment, the gift of being disillusioned. 
Why? Because God doesn't want you growing up with an illusion, a false understanding of happiness. You're not going to be allowed to do that. He will allow you to fail. You will not get the lottery. And if you get the lottery, you're going to hate it. Even though you think it's going to be the best thing that ever happened to you. It ain't. And so this kid, after he's fallen all the way, starts coming home. When he comes to himself, he goes, uh, something's wrong here. Duh. Finally, you woke up. You woke up. You know, by the way, just as an aside, a lot of people are into Buddhism. You know what the word Buddha, what the chief, the word Buddha means? It means the one who woke up. He woke up because life is an illusion. The way you look at it is an illusion. And the Buddha is the one who wake, wakes up. Okay? So the kid says, I'm, I'm going to go home. Though it, no matter what my father does to me, it's got to be better than this. Now, when he starts coming back, notice he doesn't get all the way back home. His father, even though he didn't go looking for him, his father's probably been sitting out there looking every day at the horizon to see when he comes back. And when he comes back and he sees him far away, he goes running, running, running towards his son. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm the son... And I've done that. And now I see my dad running towards me. I think he's going to wring my neck. Okay? He's not going to welcome me home. When, he, when the father gets to him, now notice this is what's weird. When the father gets to him, he doesn't even allow the kid to apologize. He throws his arms around him. And, and then after he's welcomed him back, the father says, the son says, Father, I have sinned against God and against you. He admits it. I screwed up royally. And the father, I find it interesting. The father, no lecture. Well, did you learn your lesson, son? Uh, did, do we have, have you wasted half my property? Yes. And uh, what are you going to do about it now? Are you going to work it off? Nothing. Get the fatted calf. Put ring on his finger and get the best clothes. The father, that is the part that compares to the first two parables. He's crazy about his son. He's crazy. He's, the woman's looking for a penny. The guy's looking for one lost sheep. The guy, God is crazy loving you. But he's not, that word loving you doesn't mean what you think it means. It doesn't mean mommy is not going to let me suffer. Daddy's not going to let me suffer. Because daddy, God doesn't want you to be a spiritual runt. And so they leave, this partying starts. Now the older son is really interesting because the elder son thinks, ah, why did you let, why did you, why? And immediately you want to say, the older son says, it's not fair. It's not fair that you should be, that you should treat your other son like this. It's not fair. Is it fair? No, it isn't fair. There's evidently no, evidently no consequences to what the son did. None. Now, notice what the, the older son, how he's treating his father. He says, I have been with you all of this time, and you have not given me so much as one little calf 
to make merry with my friends. Notice what the younger son understands his relationship to his father. The younger son understands that the relationship to his father is a contract. I do this, you give me this. I have been faithful to you, you give me this. And the father says, that's not it. You and I don't have a contract of quid pro quo. You're my son. And because you're my son, you could have taken a calf anytime you wanted to. Everything I have is yours. It's not a contract. And so the father invites his son to understand that the relationship he is celebrating with his wayward son, the prodigal one, is the one not based on obligations of a contract, but the fact that he's got him back. Now look at the word love, and look at the meaning of that. It means God's crazy about you. It means he's going to be hounding you. It means, however, that as much as he loves you and he's going to hound you, he's going to respect your freedom. And if you want to do stupid things with your life, he's not going to stop you. But when you do get in trouble, he's not going to come like a helicopter parent and say, I'll get you out of here and you don't learn anything. You bet your life you're going to learn something. That's why, you know, in Alcoholics Anonymous, they always tell you, you know, don't go rescuing the alcoholic. You got to let him fall because that's the only way you learn. That's the way you learn. So when disillusionment strikes in your life, know that it's, sometimes it's a grace that God is saying, maybe you are living life as an illusion. And, they, and God's way of saying, I want you to not be a spiritual runt is to let you wake up, to let you become a Buddha, to understand. And then life is not a contract. You're not getting yourself into heaven by doing good stuff. You're getting to heaven because God loves you. Now, when people say, because periodically people say to me, well, if that's the way it is, then I'm going to live the way I want, and, um, and uh, well, then I'll just, before I die, I'll just say, oh, God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It doesn't work like that. You know why? Because heaven is an acquired taste. And so is hell. When you die and you stand before God, he will offer you. See, I have this fantasy. When you die, you're going to stand before a mirror. And that mirror is not going to show your, 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 your body. It's going to show your character. And when you see yourself, the self that you created basically by your decisions, you're going to be horrified. And then superimposed on that, you're going to see the shape that God wanted you to be. And you're going to be even more horrified when you see the difference between who you are by your decisions and what you have become, by your decisions and who you were supposed to be. And then at that moment, God will say to you, do you want me to finish? And I hope you say yes, because if you say this, that's purgatory. God finishing what you could not finish. But sometimes people will say, no, I want to be what I want to be. I don't care what you want me to be. That's called hell. 
Hell is God looking at you and saying, thy will be done. You do what you want to do. God doesn't send people to hell. You go there because you've gotten the taste for it. You've got the taste for evil. And good, heaven actually is repulsive to you. So my friends, I'll shut up and land this plane. When you hear the word God is love, it doesn't mean what you think it means. It doesn't mean God's going to allow you to be a spiritual runt, to be spiritually underdeveloped. He created you, and he knows who you're supposed to be. And he's going to hound the hell out of you. Literally, he's going to hound the hell out of you until you and I learn that the only happiness that is able to be pursued is the happiness that, of being what God wants us to do. You know, in, in the Declaration of Independence, it says, we, are, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and that they are born with inalienable rights. The right to life, the right to um, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yes, but if you pursue happiness in and of itself without the way God wants you to be happy, you're on a crash course. You're going to crash because that's not where it's at. So, God bless. Um, I will see you again the next time. God bless.